0: All right. Everybody's okay, I think. All right. We're praying for you, Jeff. Um, Thank you for being here this morning. Um, So what we're looking at real quick as we introduce John 7 is we're looking at these ideas of the feast, because here in 7-2, it says, um, well, I'm not there, but here in John 7-2, it says, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And so we've had, we had that phrase. I just want to point out in John 5, 1, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And then in John 6, 4, it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. And so John, unlike any other gospels, uses these feasts to kind of give us some framework of the timeline of the three-year ministry of Jesus, but he, he, he leaves a little details out at times that makes it a little bit hard, but what I, hard to understand, like, you know, how things are progressing, mostly with this John 5, 1 text, where it says, a feast of the Jews, um, you know, just a feast of Jews. So what we know is technically there was essentially three feasts um, um, seasons. Um, there's some other stuff, but for the most part, there was three main feast season, which was the spring, the summer, and the fall. And the, um, and the two most important was in the spring and the fall. The spring was Passover, and the fall was the day of atonement. But this day of atonement was followed by this feast of Booths which we're looking at this morning so as you start to navigate through this the one th- reason i wanted to point that out it's it's important to kind of know these because this is how john is talking to his audience and and they're kind of deriving the timeline from some of this but the but the thing that i wanted to say is that in five that is is um uh, is it's in it's in Jerusalem. So it's in the south in Jerusalem, Judea. It's not in Galilee. Where when we get to six four, the feeding of the five thousand, we're in Galilee. And 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 it is possible because it just says in six four, it says um, it says now the Passover. The feast of the Jews was at hand. That usually means it's about to happen in a few days. It is possible that all this feed into the 5,000 and that preaching happened, and then he went to um, Jerusalem, but it doesn't, we don't really have anything like that, that that says that. So we have to assume that that particular year, he most likely didn't go to Jerusalem for that particular Passover, that he spent that Passover in the, in the north. Um, but there is a little room for speculation there, but here when we come to 7-2, what we know is because he identifies it at the Feast of the boost, it's not the spring season, it's the fall season, but what is interesting about this text, and and this will be the last section we'll talk about, but I want to lay it out so you see it when it comes, is that um, what we know about 5 is he's talking to a Judean audience, and what we know about six is he's talking to a G- Galian, I guess I'm saying that right, but a Galilee audience, and so when we come here, we're now um, back in, we're, we're, we're now going from Galilee to Judea, but we're now back with a Judea audience, where well, the last time, and as it gets to the end, and he talks about circumcision, and he compares it to healing a man, Well, the last time he talked to a a Judea audience was when he healed the man at the pool, which was the first story in John 5. So I just want you to kind of, as we're going to 7, I want us to keep 5 and 6 together in perspective and the time frame that's went there. So it's very well possible that if the 5, let's just say hypothetically, if the 5 feasts that John talks about was Passover then the the john six passover would have been a, a year a span between five and six and then when we move to this feast of booths that would be another six months in that case so we could be talking about from five to seven a year and a half time frame and there's probably another way you could dice that up but that's um that's kind of where we're at with this, and it's just something to keep in mind. So let's get to the text um, in John seven one. W- uh, we'll just kind of read the first five verses here, and that'll be our part one this morning. After the after the after Jesus went up ab- a- after this Jesus went about in Galilee, and that's that's my question of saying all that that I just said after what? So he's saying after this. Well, we just finished reading all the people leaving him in Galilee as disciples because of the eating the flesh and the drinking the blood and that, that challenging, um, teaching and, and, um, and him looking to the disciples and saying, are you two going to go? And they said, where will we go? So, um, so this, after this seems to fit better with John five and that kind of deal than the John six. So after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him now the jews feast of booth was at hand so his brother said to him leave here and go to judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing i'll pause a second for here because one of the consistent narratives we've looked at as we work through john and kind of a idea that we've had when we've looked at this text is is he talking about um, something spiritual are are physical is and then so like in john 3 he said he said to nicodemus he says if you do not understand when we tell you about earthly things how can you understand when we tell you about heavenly things and then in like john 6 when he said unless you eat of my flesh or drink of my blood uh you know you can't have no part of me no life of me this kind of thing he wasn't talking about actually eating their flesh and drinking of their blood And when you go back to Exodus 16 and 12, or even some texts in Leviticus, you see this phrase eating in the flesh and the Mm -hmm. sanctifying with the blood. And if they would have actually, he's going to challenge them at the end of this in part five of our text this morning, he's going to challenge them and says, you have Moses's law, but you don't even obey it. So if they would have been actually knowing Moses's law, that eat of the flesh, the drink of the blood would have had a different meaning for them. So it was sort of them being biblically illiterate that cre- created some of this stumbling block, um, which creates stumbling blocks today, right? When we're biblically illiterate. Um, so so where was it? We finished up with three. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. What I want to point out here is that what we see success in our flesh is, is, is sort of showy. It's outward. You're doing this and you're doing that. So this is a hundred percent, another hundred percent logically concept and idea um, for his brothers to say, we kind of see how you're talking. We're kind of seeing how you're acting and you're kind of like, you kind of think you you're the deal and that you're the rescuer of our people. Um, Why are you, keeping so quiet. So like in our culture, if you think about politics, if someone was saying, well, the problem in White House is, th- you know, this, this, and that, and they have some good answers and some power and some influence, then why wouldn't they go run for president or office or something like that? So this is kind of the logic that his brothers are saying, um, you know, to this degree, if you really want to make an impact, go go to get out of Galilee and go down to the capital city in Judea and, and tell them brothers what's going on. You know, he, they're kind of wanting to speed up their process um, in a sense. So finishing up with three, we pick up in four for no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then the phrase here is for not even his brothers believed in him. So we kind of see this picture like, He talks the talk, but he ain't walking the walk. But but this is all fleshly human logic. It's all like, you know, the same thing at the cross. The zealots are like, Jesus, we want the Messiah is supposed to be like King David. He's supposed to come deliver us from this Roman oppression, and so uh, they were very bothered or confused about why. Jesus is sitting there and letting himself be crucified and, and persecuted and, and all these things. So, um, so here in this first part, I know some of the questions that I had put together and, and kind of sent out. If anyone looked at those, but here, here are some of them: um, the feast of the booths. What is that, and what time of the year was it, and 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 what is its purpose? So the 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 um, the purpose of the feast of booths. Is they in in the time frame of in the in the fall in that seventh month, the very first day, which would have been the actual seventh month, would have been the actual middle of the year, was sort of like a, a labor day, a day of celebration, but it ushered in a time of seeking and looking for repentance. And all of that would have built up. So I think it's like the day fifteen, but it would have built up to the day of atonement. So sometimes when we do the Lord's prayer uh, or the Lord's supper, um, you know, Paul has the point in Corinthians where he says some of you are sick in your body because you've cast judgment because you've ate the Lord's supper unworthy. And so they would have had a time where they would have um, inwardly looked at themselves and made sure that when they came to the day of atonement that they their hearts and their minds were ready. And they were; it would have been designed to come with with all of the weight of your sin and laying it at the feet of Jesus is the language we see, you know, today. But that would have been um, preparing them for that kind of worship. Um, but what would have happened is after the day of atonement, they would have had the feast of booths. Which one of the things they would have done is um, been in tents for like seven days to kind of remember how God delivered them uh, from Egypt and the wilderness experience but it would have been a time of great joy it would have sort of been like in our culture we have thanksgiving and we 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 think about the indians and the pilgrims eating together and stuff of that nature but it's a time of being thankful and celebrating so the feast of Booths, the spirit and the push was to make this a very happy celebra- celebratory um time and that would have fell right after this really introspective work of we are sinners and we need God's shed blood to cover our sin, to make us white as snow. Um, but a couple of the questions, what was the tension involved with Jesus going to Judea? And where was he staying to avoid that the, the those tensions? And so we see in the text that he was staying there in Galilee and that there was a tension, you know, he he had kind of called them out about some things, and um, let's see what thoughts, and then this was just kind of a personal coming out of the text for a moment, but what is your thoughts about people that seek to be known in the public eye, but are a much different person when the spotlight is not on them? Was Jesus like that, and are most people like that? And so, I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on on that, but but, but it's, you take a moment, Jesus was so pure and so holy, and, you know, he, he, I don't know, I just love the way he does things here, so any thoughts on that first section that, that maybe popped to your mind while we were chatting? Yes, of course,
1: (laughs) Uh, you know, it's a good example, the thing that comes to my mind, it came to my mind, especially overnight, was that, um, God knew exactly how Jesus was to present himself, step by step. It's as amazing as Joseph's walk in in this world. Um, Nothing made sense about him being attacked by his brothers or or shipped off to Egypt, but God knew why. God knew and led, and Jesus is God, but they are one. Jesus knew that if he took this earthly approach, he would have been thrown into an k- earthly kingdom and not accomplish what he was here for. And so, you know, Jesus, Jesus's ways don't make an earthly sense. But this pointed out that earthly people, his brothers, will do it, out, do it the way we we'll always do it. Go, go out and grab a crowd and get all king, get your crown and, and be a leader. And, and they had earthly ways of looking at what Jesus should do. So Jesus had to deal with these people who had earthly ways of doing things. and But he had, I mean, the appeal to go to Jerusalem, he even snuck into Jerusalem later on in this chapter, you'll see, because he wanted to approach all, all the Israelites. But he knew, because he was God, he knew that he couldn't be stabbed by a Zealot or, or, or attacked by a Jew. Jew, when he refers to Jew, it's not the Israelite, his people, it is the people of the temple which were against him. And he knew that. But only God would know all of these things and know how to approach his mission down here. He had to have his own pattern. if we, 2,000 years later, get to see that pattern, it helps us to even more uh, worship Jesus for all he really did and was, not, not for any earthly picture of him. You know? <laughs> he was He was God, and he knew how to, what he was doing, what his mission was,
2: and yeah, what, how
0: to do it. <laughs> Anything else, um, Jeff? Paul?
2: Yeah, um, I agree with what Mister Wayne is saying. I've, I've always heard that the phrase he was working on a divine timetable, and um, you know, you you look in those verses. I think it's you know around eight to ten where it says he told his brothers, "I'm not going to the feast." Well, then at ten, it says he is going to. He did go to the. <laughs> And so people try to say, oh, hey. there's a contra- there's a contra- oh, contradiction there. Um, and so, um, you know, looking at it, though, like what Mr. Wayne was saying, especially about jo- uh, Joseph being on God's plan. Well, he was with a bunch of unbelieving brothers and they wanted to do it by earthly means. But Jesus knew that he needed to be there at a specific time appointed by the father and that he would actually say a very important phrase at a very important time of the feast signifying and pointing to him being God. And so, um, you know, it's not that he, he had a mistruth and said, Oh, I'm not going, but I am going. It's that he was working on a timetable that they knew nothing about.
3: Yeah. And and some, some of it too, maybe, you know, his brother's, didn't really believe that he was the son of God, but they still knew he was kind of a big deal. So they they might have selfishly wanted to, um, you know, get a little of the benefit of having a, a, a <laughs> yeah, like yeah, going to Galilee, you know, hey, we we're Jesus, he, he's he's our brother, you know, and and have some, you know, a little bit of celebrity of their own. May have been sneaking in, wanting him to go up with them, um, and then it also may have been the um, the stir in the crowd when when he got there, when everybody was expecting that that it would have um, thrown off the um, the I guess the place people's minds needed to be to, to start hearing the message he was going to give. So he kind of waits till halfway through when things settle down and nobody's really expecting him to even come to show up with a slightly different mindset of the crowd at that time. They've kind of calmed down a little bit, not just looking for the new Messiah, new King or something, you know? Yeah. So let's,
0: let's hit the second part. Jeff talked about some of it and you, you talked on some of it, but the, the scripture um, seven, six to 10 says um, in verse six, Jesus said to them, my time is not come. And we've heard that before, right? In and, and John 2 with Mary and the water and the wine. Um, and she's like, they're they ran out of wine, and and he he gives this language and he's he's holding back in this this sort of, I'm gonna use the word passive way. Um, she's calling him to actively get involved. We see the brothers calling him to actively get involved, but Jesus is making a sovereign declaration in this sense that hey we're going to be passive in this situation. Like another one we had not got to, but if we're looking forward to Lazarus, um, he says basically Lazarus is dead and, and he waits four days, it says. But what is that? He's passively, passively being involved with Lazarus' death. When he gets there, Martha's like, if you would have been here, you know, you could have been active before he died and geez, it's still going to be good. You know, so he's doing that to show that, look, on your timetable, you see me being passive, but time don't, it don't bound me. You know, when, when it's time, when it's the exact right time, I'm going to activate my power and it's going to be fine. Um, uh, but, but, but anyway, um, uh, I, I, I lost my place. Jesus said to them, my time has not come in verse six. Uh, but you, your time is always here. Um, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. That's one to kind of put on on, on deck, on batter's deck. Uh, we'll come back to that at the end. But remember that phrase that the world hates you because he's going to talk about they're trying to kill him. And you won't put those two together. But, but, but there's a reason they hate him. It's because. Um, he testifies that their works are evil. In verse eight, it says, you can go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. And he finishes up with, after saying this, he remained in Galilee. He he stayed passive in this situation in the way we see it through our eyes. In verse 10, he says, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up not publicly but privately. So this is not jihad with the way they want to see the plan happen, but according God, he you know, I love the way if you ever see Braveheart, there's a part where they have a very wise idea. They don't have no horses, and the opposing enemy has horses, and they're out on the open field battlefield. And when the attack goes, he's like, send the horses and just trample them down. Well, he had come up with this innovative idea to make these long poles and sharpen the end and make them spears. Well, what they did is they laid these spears at their feet and 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 hit them with their bodies. And all these horses come like, we're going to trample this weaker army. And all of a sudden, he's telling them way wait and he's kind of getting the time in. they're getting anxious because these horses are breathing down on them. and he says now you know and they they reach down and they pick up these spears and these horses run into all these these spears and and that's what i see is sort of in this situation is when god does something sometimes we're like the horse biting at the bit and he's holding us back and he's saying wait wait for for my timing." and and so when we see this phrase, my time is not yet fully come, sometimes in the world we say that's when we hear people, believers say that, or people of faith say that, sometimes when we say, I'll be praying about that situation, sometimes in our culture, we'll say, oh, you ain't going to ever do nothing, you know, that ain't going to help prayer or something like that, because we want to see something active right now, but there is pass, there is power, and certain passive things, when God is when God has called us to that. So, uh, um, and and then I I put in here a phrase I've been working on is preparation day. Sometimes, like we see Joseph, you you brought him up, but a lot of times when people talk about Joseph, they talk about how God prepared him through all those stages of his life that that that. You know he had this robe of many colors and saw himself in grandeur, but he had to 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 be in the prison, be a slave, and be in the pit and all those things before he he really rose to fa- to to fame, so to speak. But all that was part of his preparation. Um, so his time had not yet fully come until it was his time. Um, so picking up in verse eleven, um, this is our third part. It says. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him um, among the people. And then while some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly. So there's sort of a poll going on and he's still doing this in a secret sense. But there's sort of a poll and a discussion among the people. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Is this someone that's from God that we should follow? Or is he distracting people um, from the, the the way God is, has, has has guided us over all the years, you know? And so they're really tug of warring through this. And this I always, this is a great bread truck, um, a bread truck trail to follow is this verse 13 yet the fear of the jews no one spoke openly of him and so we see that phrase a couple of times like if you remember in john 9 with the blind man and it says uh, <coughs> that his parents sort of sold out you know in a sense the blind man, because of the fear of Jews, because he said, if anyone confesses Christ, they'll kick him out of the temple and stuff like that. But there's also the flip side of that, where they wouldn't arrest Jesus, because um, the crowd had a high view of Jesus, and they were afraid of the crowd. That's also came up with John the Baptist. When Jesus asked him a question one time, he said, "The baptism of John was it of God or was it of man?" And they wouldn't answer it because the crowd thought a lot of John. And if they said it was of man and it wasn't from God, they would have found themselves in trouble. So that's an interesting breadcrumb to find, like like how Jesus and Paul was never worried about the opinion of the crowd. They never like some of our church leaders today run popularity polls and opinions to see how we should do church they went to the word of god and and the and the foundation of the gospel and whether people liked it or not they stood hold to the truth it wasn't based on the opinion of men and what they thought or wanted um so that gives us our first three parts to verse 13 and our last two parts um 14 to 24 and we'll read 14 to 18 and this is one of my favorite um, parts. I don't know if we have the time to really um, meditate on it fully, but but it says in 14 about the middle of the feast. So we've had all this preparation. I'm not going to go to Judea. Um, they're looking for him. And this festival of Beat Boost is at hand. And where it, kind of the, the, the theme, the underlying elephant in the room is where's Jesus? Is he going to show up? Is he not? And so in this is the moment he steps out. In 14, he says, about the middle of the feast, which I'm assuming that's a seven-day feast, maybe somewhere, you know, at third or fourth day, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And I, I want us to think about that teaching word for a moment in this section. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he never studied so in our day it would be like someone that never went to college or never went to seminary and just starts speaking in such a power powerful way and um and so jesus answered them so they're wondering about this so jesus begins to give them some insight so in verse 16 so jesus answered them my teaching is not mine but his who sent me if anyone and then this is this is probably my whole my favorite verse of this whole thing. I mean, this one you can really take to heart and and be blessed by. If anyone's will is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own authority and you could sum that up is whether the teaching is from God or if the teaching is from man, if the teaching is from God's spirit, or is it teaching from man's flesh? You know, you could, you could sum that up and that, I think right there, you can have a Bible study on and because Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, I threw that in the note somewhere, but if you go back and research that that is what I believe Hebrews um, in Hebrews eight, when you look at the references, hebrews writer says this jeremiah 31 33 and 34 is the fulfillment of god's promise to usher in the new covenant and in that he says i will i will take away their own stony heart and i will give them a new heart with new and right desires and i will write my law on their heart and so if this work is happening you know in the new covenant then, then this teaching has radically changed. It goes on in Jeremiah 31, 33, 34 that say, no one will teach them. And, and then we're looking at, we saw this in John um, 6 last week, that that the Father is gonna teach us. And he, we know that he does that through the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're getting into the mess of the, of the Trinity and all that kind of stuff. But this whole teaching, when someone comes with the right attitude, to God's he get he he knows what God's word is saying it calls him you know, there was a song we used to sing um um zion is calling me to a higher place of praise um and 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 that's what the this this teaching this the working of the holy spirit in it, is it calls us to a deeper understanding a higher praise for God um But so finishing up in 18, the last verse of this fourth part says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. This is a little bit complicated or or, um, mysterious language, figurative speech, whatever. But from what I gather, the best... Is is he saying that so the one who speaks on his authority seeks his own glory. So that's usually you and I. We're trying to that that's what his brothers was looking for. We're trying to make ourselves famous, we're trying to bring credit to ourselves. It's politicians in Washington in our day, that kind of spirit, you know. Um, but then he says, Seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. You know, true men and women of God are always trying to decrease and they're trying to take the spotlight off of themselves and put the spotlight on God. Put the spotlight on the on the foundation of the gospel and the way it it sets us free from the bondage of sin. Um and him there is no falsehood. There is no falsehood when you surrender your way and you just become a servant of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Um let's see what time we got. We got 13 more minutes. Any quick thoughts on that before we hit this last little section?
1: The Italian God is a team God. He used all his purpose, didn't use just his son, but the Father oversaw what was being done. The Father sent the Spirit into, into the people around to protect his son. I mean, you see all that power behind Jesus. And you realize that God works in all the different all of his different powers and all of his different selves. And the three gods, the three, the, the triune God. You can't, I'm not trying to say three different gods, but the power of God co- shows up in different three different ways: the love of the Son, the the guidance of the Spirit,
0: and the power of the Father to accomplish his work. <laughs> yeah. So in, in verse 19 this is our last part. And this is just a dynamic is um, it's, it's, it's I, I just kind of titled this circumcision versus healing. And if you remember when I went through the um, John 5, 6 and 7 in these festivals and we talked about, you know, after this in 7-1, what does that mean? After what? And I, I think this gives this is probably the text that gives us this is the paragraph that gives us the most maybe perspective on this. It says has not Moses given you the law yet none of you keep the law like like I don't think they heard that fully like I think it just made them mad you know but 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 that 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 could save someone right there like if you would have if you'd have said you know what he's right we don't keep the law and if they would have pulled up close and say I know what you're saying is true but can you can you elaborate a little bit? And if he, if he would have dotted the eyes and crossed the T's and showed them how they're not following the law, had they misinterpreted the intent of the law, um, there could have been a revival, you know, I, I, I suppose so. But but has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keep the law? And then he, he kind of audibles a little bit here, and he says, why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Um, who is seeking to kill you? This is kind of like when you call a kid out for not doing. For, I know you, you you ate them cookies, you know. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you, you crazy old person, you know. <laughs> Why would I, I? I didn't eat them cookies. You can't prove that I ate these cookies. So He's looking at the tent of their heart. They're not used to someone looking at the intent of the heart. But he is stating that. And he told his brother, Earthly, he said, they hate me. They don't hate you, but they hate me. And they hate me because I tell them what they're doing is wrong. And I'm telling you, you I don't care who who it is, you start telling people they're wrong all day long and start aggravating them about how wrong they are, they're gonna want to kill you. They're gonna they're gonna start off with being frustrated with you, then they're gonna be angry and mad with you, and eventually that's gonna lead to killing. When Jesus warned on the Sermon of the Mount, he said, you know, don't be angry with your brother because you committed murder in your heart. You know, the, the the desire like Cain to kill Abel begins when you start to have, have that jealous and that anger, that frustration with that person. So he says um, in 21, Jesus answered, and this is where we finish up with this circumcision versus healing, is Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marveled at it. And so he doesn't specify the work. So I'm assuming it's the John 5, 1 um, work of the of healing the man, 38 years crippled. And um in 22, it says, Moses gave you circumcision. And then he points this out. If you remember this, he says, not that it is for Moses. Remember in John 6, when he did that, and he said, Moses didn't give you bread because they're saying, Moses gave our fathers bread. Moses didn't give your fathers bread. My God! So he does the same thing here. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the Father. And um, and you and and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And then he brings it down to the logic. He's like, "Look, I'm trying to help you think heavenly. You're, you're, You're locked into this earthly thinking." your your logic is causing us your earthly logic is causing you a stumbling block where you can't walk in the freedom of the heavenly logic and he says if you're if you if if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken so he's bringing them to like y'all do that right you know you do it you know and he says are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body, well, that's the logic, and then he finishes sort of with the exclamation mark of this last phrase. He's our sentence. He says, Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. This is kind of the idea. Do not judge the book by the cover. You know, he's they're 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 judging the outward appearance, which is kind of earthly logic, and they're not looking to the intent of Moses's law, they're not looking to the intent of what Jesus is doing and what he's trying to reveal. I mean, if we think in terms that Jesus and everything that he's doing is to fulfill the promises that God made of, of the old, you know, if if we look at that, then we're not Talking about it, we're not planning for it. We're hope we're not hoping for. We're making that a reality right now, and that's what Jesus is doing in His ministry when He's healing this man of third. He's saying the king the kingdom of God is near. It's happening right now. All those things that God has promised to do for you is it's it's happening now. And so to get them from one day thinking or we did this like. To get them in the moment so they can see what God is doing in Christ in right then is extremely difficult, you know, for them. And um, and I'll, I'll leave with, I'll finish with this one last little statement that I love when he compares the circumcision and healing is this, is when you read the law, he doesn't always say that. But they took the law this way. They said, do not work on the Sabbath, you know, cut and dry no bones about it okay but not in every case but when you go back and read the given of the law of not work on the sabbath a lot of times it says do not do any ordinary work on the sabbath well that kind of clarifies something it, it doesn't say no work 100 percent at all it says do not do any ordinary work so my question is when jesus heals on the Sabbath, is that ordinary work? When a man that could not carry his mat for 38 years in joy and in obedience to the guy that was able to liberate him, pick up your mat and go, is that ordinary work? Is that following an ordinary command? Nobody else could have done that. And so I like to use the word extraordinary work because if we look at it, Why does God call us to to honor the Sabbath and make it holy? You know, six days we have to do ordinary work, but on the Sabbath, we're not supposed to do ordinary work. And why is that? Is that so that we can come and be in the presence of God and watch him do the impossible, watch him do extraordinary work. And so when Jesus is doing these healings, He's doing something extraordinary. And 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 sort of there was this misunderstanding of the of the intent of the Sabbath that that caused them not to be able to appreciate and embrace the and cheer for and worship the extraordinary being done in their in their presence. And so every time I read this, it challenges me today. Have I learned how to honor the Sabbath? Have I learned to appreciate that, hey, I have six days to do ordinary work, but today is the Lord's day. And on this day, I'm coming to sit at his feet and to to be a part of the extraordinary. I mean, how many people do you think, I, I know you can be healed any day of the week, but how many people do you think have been healed in church services? And I don't just mean physical healing, maybe mental healing. Heart healing, spiritual healing, just where in the presence of God and his people worshiping, honoring and giving him glory on the Sabbath, that all of a sudden they just got set free. And they could walk away and say, today, something extraordinary has happened for me. I can't explain it. I can't put it into words. I can't sell it and get credit for myself. But what I know is today was not like yesterday. And it wasn't like these weekdays. Something happened today that I can only give God credit. So anyway, I'll shut up with Dad. Any final thoughts? You got anything, Jeff? Or See him coming off mute. Um, what y'all think, Paul?
3: No, I don't really have anything to add. It's, I mean, I agree with what you said. Um, the Sabbath was was a day for for us to rest too. So it was a it was something for our our betterment or for the good of us. And obviously healing a man on the Sabbath is uh, is for the good of that was for the good of that man too. Yeah, I think they used use that just to show, like you said, that they had just twisted the law and and taken it out of what it was, what it was there for in the first place. Did you think uh, about,
0: let's say, you've you've held a grudge against someone or unforgiveness or something, and and let's say on the Sabbath God reconciles you. Well, that's that's rest, right? You, you you've been carrying that unforgiveness and that bitterness, and you see that removed, and you're saying, "Bruh." So, so it, it starts with a physical resting. it starts with a coming to God's house and saying, I'm here, Lord, I need you, I want you to move in my life, I I need you to give me direction. It starts with that. But when he engages, it becomes much more than that. And I guess the phrase I didn't say is when he when when they asked him about that, that would have been in john 5 16 to 18. They asked him about that. You know, why are you doing this? He says, my father, is working and so am i you know so so this idea of god doing extraordinary work for his people on the mm-hmm. Sabbath you know it's it, it's not so much that he's resting it's we're resting and we're we're decreasing so he can increase it's he's working in an extraordinary way because we've all come together we said look we're here to hear what you I, I think about that text if you go back to Acts 10 I'll, I'll, I'll kind of s- solidify with this is they called Peter to come te- speak to Cornelius and there's in the last part of Acts 10 when Peter gets to the house of Cornelius he says we're, we're just here to hear what you have to say like they, they just they shut everything down I, I imagine him saying all of them get everybody here this is going to be a big day and I mean, that's what Sunday should look like when we gather and we worship together. We should say, look, we're here to hear what you have to say, Lord. We desperately want and need to hear from you. Jeff, you still still off. Um, all right. He came up. You got yeah.
2: Next? Yeah. I was going to say that's um, I like how you phrase that. Of the, uh, you know, doing God's doing the extraordinary work that, you know, we don't see. Uh, but when people are coming to a church service and they're getting they're getting right with god their their um spiritual man is getting in alignment with with what it should be is is a work you know that you hear the god preached when you hear what to you and it it cuts you um it encourages you it nourishes your soul um all of these are something that we christians get to do um you know it's not something we you know we've got to do to fulfill this law and i think that was you know uh, part of what was going on with the jews that it was you know we just had to have followed the law you know in a sense that um just because that's what we had to do it was part of our um you know all the laws that the jews had put in place but for us um jesus fulfilled the sabbath he is the sabbath and he gives us rest <laughs> and the fact that we get to go to church and have our hearts and minds changed like that um is is something extraordinary like you said
0: that's good um all right mr wayne last word you know,
1: you know uh yes back in moses day god god relinquished God God gave uh, encouragement to his people to at least take one day a week, but that was a compromise. When Jesus came around, he said, "You don't have to be at a certain temple, be at a certain place. I give you the right to worship God seven days a week. And that includes the Sabbath, but sa- yes, it's okay in our hearts to think special day, take a special day every day of the week because that's what God had, had, had granted the, the the people of Moses day, but you know, we have to keep in mind earthly work and godly work Jesus made it apparent that we are to consider all our works if they're not for God they're not you know there's no purpose to it so we we have we have a, a new challenge since Jesus he said work worship God every day and that's our challenge but yes to be to to comfort us God gave us the sabbath so that we can really 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 worship him at least a tenth. Give him his tithe, his tithe in our spirit, you know. But uh, every day, every day that you do something for, for the Lord is a uh,
0: is 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 a good thing. You know? yeah. Not worried about the earth. All right, Paul, you um, want to close us in prayer? Sure. Uh, remember Jeff and kidney stone and a couple of those other things. If you remember.
3: Well, God, Lord, we just thank you for this uh, great morning, Lord, and the opportunity to come together as Christian brothers to delve into your word, Lord. Uh, uh, We ask you just for, uh, have your sovereign, loving hand in several situations, Lord, healing situations for Jeff, Lord, healing situations for Rusty, um, and uh, healing situations and travel situations that that Mike's in, uh, work situations for several people, Lord, and uh, just uh this full understanding lord that we need you for everything and we're desperate for you for everything and uh just guide us in abiding in you and trusting in you for all things and going to you for all things and uh just counting on you and looking to you as our, our lord and god and savior um lord I ask you just let's go out through today and on through the week uh, and take what we've learned and, and apply it lord not uh Go from our, our heads to our hearts and then out in, uh, into your kingdom, Lord, and kingdom work, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. And we ask these things in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. 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 We well, have a good day.
0: Um, Jeff, if you need some food, shoot me a text. We'll, we'll bring some after church.
2: See all right. Day, thank day. you. I
0: appreciate you guys. See y'all later. Yeah.